99.9% of people store most of their value in, in our currency and they have no idea how our current monetary system works. And so when we talk about, do you need to understand something to store your purchasing power in it? I would say no, because most people do it already. And so I think when we look at Bitcoin through that same lens, I think having a shard of an understanding of our current monetary system and, under, uh, and recognizing that our purchasing power can be devalued as the monetary supply is expanded. I think just recognizing that and realizing that Bitcoin has a supply cap of 21 million, you can already start to see how purchasing power can increase over time. And so I think having these basic fundamental understandings of Bitcoin's kind of key characteristics is important because that will give you longevity in being able to stay true during the price volatility. But outside of that, I don't believe that people need to understand the ins and outs of hashing and uh, mining and whatnot to be able to really invest their purchasing power in Bitcoin. This episode of Bitcoin People proudly brought to you by Looking Glass Education, bringing you easy to read, beginner friendly financial education that helps you take control of your financial future. And it's all free, so go check it out. Hello, and unbelievably excited to have with me today two people who I've had before. Not only is it a first in terms of having visitors back, but it is also a first in terms of having two folk on at the same time. Welcome back, Seb Bunny and Daz B. Welcome to Bitcoin People. Thank you so much for having us, Carrie. Looking super excited for our chat today. You're one of our favorite people in Bitcoin. So looking forward to the chat. You're lovely. I echo what Daz is saying. I think listening, I listen to every single one of your episodes and I think they're absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. I'm so pleased. You're the person out there. <laughs> That's great. Uh, look, I. Uh, it's exciting to have you both here. It's interesting to have you both here because you guys have a friendship. You guys are co-founders of Looking Glass Education. You've built phenomenal educational materials. You have written a book together and now you are embarking some on some other business ventures together and I want to explore all of the above. I'm going to ask for those who may not know you just to give a bit of background each and maybe I'll ask Seb if you could start with a bit of your background. How in the world did you come to be here with us today? And then I'll hand over to Daz and then we'll kind of bring it together and explore the friendship and the growth of, of your business world together. Sure. So I was for about a decade, I was a mountain bike instructor and I absolutely loved breaking down kind of the complex biomechanical movements into their like simplest form. And I always found that my strength was trying to distill down these complex movements and explain them in non-technical, like jargon free terms. Anyway, when the pandemic hit, when I should stay actually stepping back, I should say that while I was a mountain bike instructor, I've always been fascinated with the financial markets macroeconomics and kind of how the world like the puzzle that is our world like piecing together this complex puzzle and when the pandemic hit i wasn't teaching mountain biking and i longed for that educational component and so one of the things i started to do is i started to write and i started to kind of write about inflation and how inflation is impacting the everyday the layman and i wanted to try and write it in this non-jargon like technical free, to, uh, easy to read, concise method. And people seem to resonate with it. And then Greg Foss kind of read one of my articles and shared it. And from there, it kind of just exploded. And this kind of led to where we are today, which I've been writing for the last three years about finance and macroeconomics and Bitcoin. And I love it. I, I wouldn't change a single thing. 
Fascinating how we're all drawn to this space and we bring in whatever qualities and strengths that we have as individuals and we find ways to leverage them and bring something to the space and help to build. Daz, you? Daz B, uh, by name, uh, electrician by trade. So and I've got formal qualifications in electrical engineering. So very similar to Seb. Um I come at this whole space uh, from a, a, a value investing um, sort of standpoint, very similar uh, pathway whereby um, I was having a lot of conversations with fellow people at work in, in Australia. So I live in far north Queensland of Australia. Um, working in the trades, we typically are well compensated in Australia. Um, trades people typically earn a good wage. So I was in a very fortunate position eventually in my life to um, have some disposable income. Uh, so I went down a value, a value investing pathway to learn how to put that money to work. Um, and very similarly to Seb, I noticed I was having a lot of conversations, breaking down a lot of these themes that the sort of everyday folk don't really understand uh, and really started to resonate with me just the disparity between what people know about investing, how money works and everything like that and started putting some of those thoughts into writing. And again, uh, Greg Foss stumbled across my work. I might have jammed it down his throat actually and begged him to read it, but um, uh, he read one of my articles and and, and again, similar to Seb, from there, the, the sort of rest is history, which we'll I'm sure we'll get into. Yes, indeed. Just a question for you. You've both been in this space for a little while. Do you ever get frustrated? Is there ever any impatience that creeps in with repeating the same kind of educational pieces and breaking down the basics of inflation to people who are skeptical about our understanding of what causes inflation and and how it impacts the world do you in a social setting i'm thinking just for a moment and i'm asking for my entirely personal reasons right now how do you manage that? Do you keep yourself really patient? Are you really good with that? You know, it's one of those things where I would say after teaching mountain biking for a decade and riding, right. like I used to work in Whistler Bike Park in, in, in Canada, which is kind of the largest bike park in the world. And I've ri ridden the same trails thousands and thousands of times. And you almost, when you get that new client, that client who is in this world-class place that they've dreamed about being here, you live vicariously through that client. And I think for me, when you have that moment when someone's eyes suddenly open and you start discussing kind of or that click, that clicking moment where you start kind of describing inflation, describing the issues we face. And then all of a sudden, after discussing Bitcoin, they they get it. That moment is incredible. And you're almost you're living vicariously through that. And so I wouldn't say as a as an instructor myself and as a teacher. I, will, I wouldn't say necessarily that the repetition bores me. Um, more what frustrates me is the individuals who are not willing to have an honest, open conversation, that are willing to just, oh, have I ended up, there we go. Yeah, people who basically just have, um, are not willing to have that honest, open conversation and are going to slander Bitcoin without ever really uh, looking at it objectively. So that, that's what I would say. Yeah, uh, I think that's a really beautiful point, actually. Um, seeing someone's excitement once they start to piece things together is really what what motivates me to keep going and i think i always take it as an opportunity as well to as a challenge to sharpen my sword to get 
my points better, um, get them more succinctly, um, be able to really hit home those major points to make those people sort of have those realizations. And similarly to what Seb said, what I've started to really notice is and becoming better at as a person even is not to waste my time on the closed-minded people who don't want to have a conversation. Just yesterday, very elderly bloke within my workplace, very smart man, engineer. He's still 70, he's still working. He tells me it's because he enjoys it. Um, however, you know, he's still working 40 hours a week. I don't know his personal finance and I wouldn't assume to, to um, uh, mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dare assume what, what, what they may be in his motivations. However, he did say to me yesterday in terms of Bitcoin, there's a major difference between investing and gambling. And I said, I'd push back on that very heavily based on the amount of research and study that I've done in this, willing to have a conversation with you and left it at that. And it was clear he didn't want to pursue it. So I'm not going out to try and convince anybody about this, but if you want to open into an, um, enter into an open dialogue about it and, and get my point of view, more than willing to spend the time with you. But I think it's just important for me now to realize, don't waste your breath. If if you're not willing to, I'm not I'm not here to convince anybody. And um, unfortunately, you will get it. You'll just get it at the price you deserve, at the time you deserve. And if you're not willing to to investigate and have an open mind about this thing, then that's okay. That's that's your path. And that mm. might be the first touch. We often say in Bitcoin spaces, it takes you three touches to really get this thing. That might be his first. And I've played a part in that. Very positive way of framing it both of you i really like that tell me how you guys met how did this friendship develop what happened you got so to kick that off seb yeah um so uh i mentioned earlier that um one of my articles that i wrote was on bonds so i shoved mm. that down greg foss's throat more so from the fact that i'm not a bonds trader i'm a humble pleb who goes to work every day as an electrician I don't know what I'm doing. I've got no right to be writing about bonds, right? So uh, this this article was about what, what bonds are, how they work, trying to break it down for the everyday um, Australian, what really was the target audience, but everyday wage earner to understand why the hell, how do bonds even work? What are they? Um, what's maturation? What are all these complex terms you hear anyone in the macro circles who, who are talking about bonds, all these term, this terminology that they bring up? So I sent it to Greg Foss to, to say, look, I've got no right to write this. But would you mind running your eye over it to make sure it's directionally correct? Um, and anyway, he gave me some really great feedback on it and said he loved it. So um, by the same, at the same time, he'd been in contact with an uh, with another um, gentleman by the name of Jason Sansoni. He was a surgeon in Wisconsin, saying, "I don't understand half the stuff that comes out of your mouth when you go on these podcasts. We need to break this down." So Jason and I since met through Greg Foss. And then it wasn't too long later that Seb Bunny come into the fold. So we'd started having some discussions around building an education platform and what they may look like. Very much spinning our wheels and not really getting any traction. And this is where I'm forever grateful that Seb come into the fold, not only as a friend, which we'll talk about a bit more, but um, even just being able to really cement the direction that we needed to go for Looking Glass. He brought a lot of really great ideas around what we needed to do. And it was really where the rubber hit the road for looking glass in terms of, okay, we've got a framework. Now let's build. We, you know, let's, let's stop the weekly conversations we're having. It's time to put pen to paper, mm. so to speak, and, and start building this out. So 
that's that's essentially how we met through the great connector that is Greg Foss. Indeed, indeed. Seb, what was your experience of that? You know what? I think that Daz pretty much covered it outside of, yeah, I'd say I I wrote my first piece similar to Daz and my piece was called When More Isn't Better, Inflation in the 21st Century. And it kind of just discussed how inflation is impacting and or creating wealth inequality. Because I think Mm. many people, when they think about money, one of the aspects I really like to dive into is more the social sphere of money. So like how money plays a role in our social settings and not just on a financial level. And so I wrote this piece and Greg ended up finding it. I have no idea how he found it because at the time, I think I had 11 followers on Twitter. Like I was absolutely, I was a nobody. Anyway, so I ended up writing this piece, putting it out there. And one of my good friends, so he ended up finding it, he reshared it. And then one of my good friends was like, hey, I noticed Greg reshared it. I actually, I know Greg. And I was like, you know Greg? And he was like, yeah, Greg has a place in Whistler in the ski resort. And I was like, no way. So anyway, he connected us. And so we went skiing and I was just, honestly, I was like a kid seeing like Santa. I was just so blown away. And so anyway, we went skiing. I it was, I was honestly, I felt humbled. And uh, he said, I know these guys, Daz and Jason, who are working on this project. Would you want me to connect you? Because I think you guys have a very like-minded approach to education. And so he connected us. And again, like I think Daz and I, there was at the time, I think there was about four or five of us in the group. And Daz and I just very much connected on our writing style and our educational kind of goals. And from there, we kind of took it and just ran with it. And I think that's how Looking Glass kind of evolved into what it is today we're just passionate about education and trying to make sure that those on the bottom rung of society and those in the middle class have content mm. that speaks to them uh, and isn't necessarily filled with all of this jargon that kind of very much makes it seem a lot more complex than it is so so when was that when was the when did the first course or the first materials or the first articles go up on looking glass when was the what was the kind of inauguration date for looking glass i believe we started working on actually like putting pen to paper i think we've been speaking for a few months but we started putting pen to paper i think it was in like august of 21 and then it kind of grew from there we got the first course out in uh in april i think of 2022 um yeah. and then it's kind of grown since then we got that then a year later april of 2023 we put out the book uh, i think those are the dates aren't they does <laughs> a bit right i'm hoping those are the dates but that sounds a bit right said yeah and so was there, you had a very clear purpose, which was to educate everyday folk. Was there a sense of also, and I think this is a question for a lot of content creators, of where you want it to go, where you want it to be, how you would like it, like, like where you want it positioned in the Bitcoin world, but also in society more broadly? Is there a sense of how you would like it? The, not only the numbers of people looking at stuff, but but what's your positioning? Like if you had to give a marketing 101 to Looking Glass Education, how would you differentiate it in the world of financial education? It's, it's interesting. The other day, I was actually down at the Vancouver Bitcoin meetup, and I did this talk labeled we are all satoshi and so it's it's all about that meme and you guys have probably heard of the meme we are we are all satoshi and it kind of dives into this aspect that bitcoin doesn't have a marketing department bitcoin is not a centralized company and so ultimately we the passionate individuals that want to push bitcoin forward because we believe in its existence and the values it provides um 
we are ultimately its marketing department. And I think everyone has a unique perspective on how money has shaped their lives and how Bitcoin has influenced them. And so I just very much believe that everyone, no matter who you are, whether you're a doctor, a dentist, a teacher, an electrician, a man and bike constructor, you have a unique perspective on how Bitcoin is shaping you and you should share that. And so ultimately, I think Daz and I have both come from these backgrounds of sharing our own perspectives on things. And so we very much value trying to when we look at looking glass, taking a step back, when we look at looking glass, we have multiple kind of areas at which we create content. But one of those is our deep dives and our deep dives is trying to share the voices of different people. Like we share your mm. podcast, Carrie, we share, we used to share James Lavish's articles. He's a finance guy. We've shared Greg's stuff. We've shared uh, Kudzai in Africa. And our goal is just everyone's got their own unique perspective. And we'd like to be able to share those perspectives. And then ultimately, I would say like going back to our kind of core target audience, like we very much want to speak to the layman. There is so much content out there. If you want to dive into philosophical stuff, go with Breedlove. If you want to dive into complex monetary topics, you can go with Sailor or some of Preston Pish's podcasts. And so we felt there was a missing area and that missing area was jargon-free, uh, concise content for the layman. Uh, and that's, I would say, Looking Glass, if you were to define it into a nutshell, it's speaking to that audience. And then we approach that through, as we mentioned, we approach it through uh, sharing the voices of others. We approach it through our course content. We have a, a, a few various courses that dive into Bitcoin, macroeconomics and whatnot. Um, and then we also have some school curriculum. Uh, and then we also do a handful of other things, which we'll probably get into. Yeah, yeah I want to actually talk to you a little bit about the school curriculum as well in a moment. And there's so much we need to cover here, but I'm really interested in stuff for kids. Uh, Daz, what's your take on it? Are you absolutely on board with the same vision? Do you have a slightly no. different take on it? Uh, no, absolutely. And that's why I think Seb mentioned earlier that um, is why Seb and I are probably the, the main people at the helm is because we do align on so much of that vision um yeah and a lot of that's evolved over time but the only thing i'd add to what seb was saying before is one of the overarching themes that we approached this with um with, with two main things is we wanted a lot of this core content we didn't want price to ever be a barrier to entry um, for this critical education and there's many arguments to suggest that um, because we put a lot of this content out for free the courses are free the deep dives are free uh, that people don't see value in that. But mm. you know, people don't mind actually paying for something that they get value out of. And we absolutely agree with that, but we didn't want price to be a barrier. If if you were the, the single mum that could only scrape together $10 at the end of the week, they're the people we wanted to speak to, to, to educate them on why the system is the way it is. So that $10 is critical to you. And we would rather the education piece. And the other approach that we took to that is we didn't want Bitcoin to be shoved in anybody's throat because even the notion of Bitcoin, and I'd still argue we're still in this phase, like testament to that <laughs> conversation I had with the gentleman at work yesterday. Um, it's still got a lot of misconceptions. There's still a lot of uh, FUD around what Bitcoin is. And even the approach of come learn about Bitcoin is a barrier to entry in and of itself for somebody who's might be curious about why we're experiencing the price inflation that we're experiencing. Yet, as soon as you mention Bitcoin, it's still invasive. It's still a barrier to them wanting to pursue that discussion further. So the approach we took in the first course that we, that we laid out was a gentle orange peeling, if you will. 
uh, uh, mm-hmm. let's hold your hand and very much frame Bitcoin up as an option for your investable future as a layman, as a wage earner, as somebody who's slaving, grinding away in the fiat slave mines. What, how does Bitcoin fit into the history of money? What the fiat monetary standard is and how that's really impacting you as a wage earner. And then we step through what are your investable options to protect yourself moving forward? What happens if you put your money in a bank? Is that risk-free? We argue it's not. And why? What happens if you put your money in equities, into real estate, into bonds, into gold? And then finally, why you might like to consider Bitcoin as part of your investable future. Why it makes sense. Why it And, and as our thinking has evolved over time with this, it is really the missing piece for wage earners to get ahead. It is the savings vehicle that was robbed of, from us over time with this inflationary fiat monetary system that we have. You can't put your money in a bank and beat inflation because they're holding interest rates artificially below the rate of inflation. So your money in a bank is going backwards. Bitcoin is that savings vehicle. It is not something you need to spend thousands of hours studying. It is the simplest way to to invest and get ahead and increase in your purchasing power over time. So you don't need to be tracking the real estate market. You don't have to get into over-leveraged positions in real estate market and over-indebtedness. You don't need to read all the balance sheets and the quarterly reports from all of these companies. You don't have to put your money into passive investment vehicles just hoping that the momentum increases your purchasing power. There's a whole heap of risk that comes with your traditional investing vehicles. And we argue now that Bitcoin is the simplest thing you can do, is you simply work hard, you put your nose to the grind, you put what you can spare aside for a rainy day, and over a long period of time, your increase in purchasing power goes up exponentially. And it is the simplest form of investment investing, and that's why it speaks to wage earners, and that's why we're so passionate about getting that message out. Such great explanation. It speaks, it's just testimony to how good you guys are educating that you can put that so succinctly and so simply and so powerfully, but exactly as you say, not shoving it down anybody's throat, but just saying there's an alternative. There is something that can get you, there's an escape valve. Uh, You wrote a book, you kept it very, very simple, uh, and you've really explained a lot of the base terms. Does someone need to familiarize themselves with all those terms to get involved in Bitcoin like this, even though it's a very simple book? There's still a bit of getting your head around the technology, getting your head around inflation, getting yourself uh, your head around it being a savings vehicle. So so the currency side of it, as well as the technology side of it. So it can still for all the simplicity out there can still seem daunting to someone first getting in. How much background knowledge do you think someone needs to to get involved? You know what you said? Yeah, I would say that when we're talking about money, the majority, I, would, I wouldn't even say the majority, I would say 99.9% of people store most of their value in, in our currency and they have no idea how our current monetary system works. And so when we talk about, do you need to understand something to store your purchasing power in it? I would say no, because most people do it already. And so I think when we look at Bitcoin through that same lens, I think having 
a shard of an understanding of our current monetary system and, under, uh, and recognizing that our purchasing power can be devalued as the monetary supply is expanded. I think just recognizing that and realizing that Bitcoin has a supply cap of 21 million, you can already start to see how purchasing power can increase over time. And so I think having these basic fundamental understandings of Bitcoin's kind of key characteristics is important because that will give you longevity in being able to stay true during the price volatility. But outside of that, I don't believe that people need to understand the ins and outs of hashing and uh, mining and whatnot to be able to really invest their purchasing power in Bitcoin. However, I would say that once you start looking at Bitcoin, once you start putting some of your purchasing power into Bitcoin, naturally it's a draw. I find it's a magnet. Like I initially went into it. Many people say you go into Bitcoin for the asset, for the appreciation, and then suddenly you stay for the outcome, which is that it's, I believe it's going to change the world. And so I'm now looking at Bitcoin from the humanitarian aspect, the philosophical aspect, the social aspects, far and above beyond just as a monetary component. And so I think that for the average individual, once you start investing in Bitcoin, you start looking at Bitcoin very differently. You start looking at the world very differently and it almost draws you in, but you don't necessarily need that understanding to invest in Bitcoin. Yeah, and I'll just couple with that. Um, the volatility piece is really like why we wrote the book was really around, we, we sort of looked at this as an evolution of thought. It was the first iteration you, you might land on uh, on our offerings, on our course, and you think the why around you might want to own Bitcoin. And then because of the short-term volatility that you absolutely will experience um, for now, we thought it was very important to provide another resource to help with the conviction um, of understanding why you own Bitcoin. And very much from that perspective, giving a few tools and a few ideas for you to critically look at during this volatility period, this volatile period, if you had a sharp dip, how would you think about, has anything changed in the thesis around Bitcoin? So if you experience a short-term dip, like Warren Buffett's very famous for saying, if you go and you do all the research into buying a stock, if that stock were to drop by half, you should be excited, not scared. And it's very much the same concept with, with Bitcoin. And while I said earlier that it's one of the most simplest things to understand. Most Bitcoiners have now done thousands of hours worth of research into really understanding what are the pitfalls? Why do I own this thing? And how does it fail? And that's very much what we've tried to deliver then into, into a book as well to a company. And by the way, that will be a course and it will be free within the coming months. We're just working on some things in the back end. So if you can afford the book, great. That supports us doing what we're doing. Um, and we're very appreciative for, for every sat that's um that's that's hodled because of the proceeds of that book helps us do what we do. But if you can't afford the sats again, that knowledge will be free. It's just a uh, it'll be it'll be available in the coming months. Um, and it was very much framed up in that respect that now you just need to understand what you own and how do we distill down the thousands of hours worth of research into something that's bite sized for wage earners because. We are absolutely conscious of the fact that there's a lot of time um, at, at, at work and the kids are spending a lot of time in daycare and school and after school care. By the time they get home, fix dinner, get the lunches ready, get the school clothes ready for the next day, they've got about an hour spare. They're going to watch my numbing Netflix and they're going to go to bed and they're going to do it again. 
And so what we've tried to do then is like, how do I take this thousand of hours of research into really understanding what you own to, to in order for you to prepare for the short-term volatility, to be comfortable in what you own and understand that it's not breaking, it's not failing. How do we take that thousands of hours and distill that down into a bite-sized chunk? And that's really what we tried to achieve with that book. It's 160 pages long. But we also understand, and I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant here. We also understand that not a lot of people read. So that's where the course can help supplement this. So the course will be, it, it, it's obviously you'll, you'll read the course, but we're also going to provide the audio recording for that content as well. And Carrie, you're doing an amazing job in helping us with this so that people can listen to that as well on their commute to work. Um, you know, we're going to integrate it into a podcast. We, it's going to be embedded into the coursework online so that there's a, just a different approach to to how people are going to learn. And and podcasting is a great way of reaching most, most people because you can do it on the commute to work when you've got five minutes, when you're doing the dishes, when you're prepping the lunches, you can stick some ear pods in, tune the kids out for a little bit and just um, and try and learn um, uh, via, that, the, via that medium. It feels to me almost as if, as you're saying this, as the cycles go by with each successive cycle, a couple of things are happening. The technology is getting simpler. So we've got layer two apps and we've got wallets that are really user-friendly these days. Incredibly proud of myself. I need to tell you, I'm so put off by technology. I'm, you know, I'm whole next generation. I'm not naturally good or comfortable. I went to a gig last Saturday night in Sydney. Nick Bartia was speaking there. I went over and I bought his book. And of course, just as a use case, this is interesting for me to think about. Aussie dollars, absolutely no use to him. He doesn't want my cash. All the payment apps, the traditional payment apps from the US don't work in Australia. Got out my wallet, sent him some sats, all over and done with in less than 10 seconds. And he's got something that he can use anywhere in the world or save. But he, and so for me, it feels like as long as that, those options, the technology becomes more and more user-friendly. It's almost like there's an inverse correlation between as the tech gets easier, the less education is required because I can just go out and do it and I don't need hundreds of hours of education. Does that feel like a fair idea? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that also is coupled over, over time. Um, the volatility is going to smooth out as more adoption occurs that volatility irons out so that even the need in how it works on the back end becomes less of an importance as long as it works and as long as we can do it securely and we're comfortable enough in in the security models and and absolutely i see technology the next 10 to 20 percent of people to 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 adopt this is going to be done through advances in technology, advances in the layers, advances in security, advances in how you how um take custody of this asset. All of those things is an evolution, and that's the pathway to adoption and and mass adoption. Seb, your thoughts on that? It's interesting. I was talking to one of my good friends, and I haven't. This isn't firsthand, so I'm kind of relaying a story. But I believe it's Eric, Eric Kaysen. He um. He has kind of a podcast series that he does uh, with a few other John Vallis and uh, I think it's American Hoddle and a few others. And they're discussing setting up this kind of service of sorts 
which is basically for those, the children of Bitcoiners who are going to inherit their Bitcoin rather than just inheriting Bitcoin because they don't necessarily have that deep understanding of why Bitcoin, what is the value of Bitcoin. They have to go through some form of, because obviously with Bitcoin, you can have some form of inheritance with whether it's smart contracts to release quarterly or after certain milestones have been hit. There's educational milestones that these kids have to reach before they can get access to their Bitcoin so they can show that they understand the like core tenets of what it means to be a Bitcoiner, what it means to have like that, uh, that time horizon where you're looking into the future to build security and stability rather than just spend it in the short term to meet needs and whatnot. And so I think that when it comes to Bitcoin, I, I very much agree with what you're saying. I think as technology advances, it's making it easier for us to access Bitcoin. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to understand the deep intricacies of Bitcoin, but it's good to have that foundational understanding of the key tenets surrounding Bitcoin. I, one of the areas that to me feels like it continues to be a little bit tricky is self-custody. It's something that not everybody is used to. So I've literally just been in contact in the last 24 to 48 hours. So I got my friend's mother into Bitcoin near the top of the market. Anyway, let's not go there. But now <laughs> she wants to, I've been trying to push her for a little while to uh, get her Bitcoin off the exchange and into self-custody. But all of this is really very daunting for her. So I've offered to drive out to them. They're about an hour out of Melbourne uh, and help her set up because she hasn't got even a laptop that she can easily bring in to me. So I can do all of that and I can help set her up on, um, I've recommended a Bitbox, uh, and I can help her set all of that up. But at some point, because she's, I don't know her exact age, but at some point she's going to pass. She's planning to hold this for the long time, for the long term. She's going to want to split that between her daughters. And I don't really want to be the one. I don't want the responsibility, uh, responsibility to be honest, of being the one to help get that that Bitcoin off that hard wallet and be involved in then splitting it out between the, the three girls. It feels like a little bit, it just feels uncomfortable. I, mm. I don't really want to have that load on my shoulders. But it feels like there's services setting up left, right and centre that have never existed before. We've got multi-sig options. We've got custodial services that are somewhere between and this is what I understand you boys are getting involved in, that somewhere in between the uh, the seeming difficulty of doing it all on my own versus the outsource it all to an exchange who's potentially deeply dodgy. I also had to do a whole bunch of extra verification this morning for Celsius to hopefully maybe get my coins off Celsius one day. <laughs> Let's not go there either. <laughs> All, yeah. all the mistakes I've made in the past. So start to talk me through some of the options that are now available to people that might make their life a bit easier. So one of the realizations that we made in uh, the past few months, and it's a, it's a um, sort of an outcome of us being involved in the education space. We've been involved in a, in a Bitcoin basic series with the blue collar boys over in the States, which is, really getting some great traction. And one of the episodes we did on that was around custody. And more than ever now, um, we're starting to realize that custody is still a major, major barrier. Um, we absolutely advocate for when you 
buy Bitcoin, get it off the exchange. But that act in and of itself can be a barrier to adoption because people are petrified of it. And while I absolutely Mm. agree that it is absolutely within everybody's ability to do that and to do it well, it's still a major barrier to entry. And I've got one personal story I'll share with a guy I work with, um, highly technical person, works in the substation world with protection systems, um, very complex relay and protection systems. He knows how to do technical work. He was absolutely petrified of taking self-custody because he's a pisshead. He likes going out on the weekend and he just knows that he doesn't handle paperwork and that side of his life very well. Single guy in his 30s was absolutely petrified. So when FTX blew up, Mm. FTX was obviously a a massive exchange that had, quote unquote, a lot of Bitcoin, which then never actually had. So it's another story for another day. When FTX was blowing up, I was telling every single person that I I could possibly reach to get your Bitcoin off exchange. He Mm. was so petrified of that, unbeknownst to me, and I've only just found this out in the recent months, that he ended up selling out of all of his Bitcoin position because he was more petrified of taking self-custody than he was of losing his keys on exchange. So he just opted to get out of it altogether and he hasn't gone back in. And that's a really classic example of the barrier to entry for adoption. Um, He was already a Bitcoiner. He gets the thesis. He he gets why he owns it. He's probably not down the path as far as most of us, but he couldn't get over that responsibility of holding his keys. And this is where the realization occurred for Seb and I, coupled with, we, we, after that custody episode we did with the Blue Collar Boys, we were bombarded with inbox messages through the DMs for people just needing help. Talk me through it. What's the best way to go about this custody? So as a, as a result of that, we set up a service on Looking Glass called Coddle. Um, and it's basically the, it's a little bit of a play on words. Um, us Bitcoiners like to mix with the word hold. We turn it to huddle. Same with cold storage, right? Coddle. Uh, and it was, it was a clever little play on words from, from Seb to say, we don't think there's such a thing as an overprotective approach to self-custody. So we will absolutely coddle you through that through that process. And that's the sort of premise behind what we're doing. So that, that service is a paid for service, but you can book a time with Seb or I to sit down with you and hold your hand via a video call to set up. We go through how to set up your wallet, how to record your seed phrase, how to back up that seed phrase. We get you to send Bitcoin to your hardware wallet. We get you to wipe it. We get you to recover it. So you've done all the best practices with taking self-custody while we're there to hold your hand. We give you a copy of that recording and we absolutely encourage you to then wipe that device, destroy that seed phrase and go and do it all again by looking at the video and stepping through it again. Now that you've gone through the process, we've made sure you've done it all. And then that just puts another layer of protection in the fact that we have not seen your your seed phrase. Um we, we, we take control through that process around making sure we can't see your desk where you're writing and all that anyway. But we, we, we're just trying to encourage that practice. And then one of the things that kept popping up for us was, and this is, I'm, I'm happy to share my personal story in regards to this, Carrie. So I've obviously down this route for quite a while, been thinking a lot about my self-custody solution at home. And I started with single SIG. Um, evolved to single sig with a passphrase. I then evolved to um, multi sig, and I got to this point where I had too much, too many keys, 
and the management of those mm-hmm. keys and the separation of those keys kept playing on my mind. And then you inherently have to involve some trust. And then it's like, now I've got to go and verify that key, make sure it's all okay. And it's, it's a friction and I'm adding complexity to this thing, which I, again, I'm not trying to scare anyone off with this, but it's, it then introduced complexity around the estate planning. Like you've rightly sort of already alluded to this notion of how mm-hmm. do I hand this on to my kids? Now, as a good example here, I've written a book called Beers for Bitcoin, and it covers all of these things, including custody. I can't get my wife to read it. I've written this book and she still hasn't read it. So my backup solution was like I sat her down one day and said, okay, this is how what you've got to do to recover it. And she went, I'm going to fuck this up. Sorry to swear on your pod, but that was her exact words to me, looking me dead in the eye. So then my default was call my mate Mitch. Mitch, I work with Mitch. We go to the meetups together. We go to Bitcoin Alive together. And while I trust Mitch implicitly, I'd trust him with my key. There's a good chance I will die to work at a high voltage electric. You know, it was a non-zero risk. So that's my backup. And then I'm, I'm just starting to really understand the complexities. While it's okay for me, I was introducing a lot of complexities that put my ability to hand that onto the people I care about most at risk. And that's where in the last few months, we've started having conversations with um, Peter Dunworth and Andy from um, the Bitcoin Advisor. And unbeknownst to me, they've come up with a collaborative custody solution. And it was the solution I was looking for, for my own net wealth. Now, there's a few things to explain um, with that. Um, This collaborative custody model does require, typically it's a two or three multi-sig, and it does involve you giving up two of your keys, but they very much knuckled down and and mitigated against the attack and the threat model with with giving up two of your keys because typically with a multi-sig that's a that's a big no-no but at this stage of the game and it sort of plays onto this this notion around technologies evolving but we're very much mm-hmm. satisfying a need that exists right now with making sure that your inheritance plan and your estate planning mechanism is catered for so what that enables me to do is treat my stack in a, in, a, in a different light. So I've got my self-managed super fund stack. Now I'm starting to think about splitting out my personal stack into an inheritance stack, the, the stuff that I'm going to see the lot of day. And then I've got the personal stack that I'm going to keep, you know, probably on a single SIG with a pass raise separated that I'm, I'm, I, I can get my wife to grok. I can get her to deal with that. But basically what I'm now doing is with my inheritance stack is I'm building in the protocols essential for in the event I die, the real important generational wealth component of that, how do I make sure that gets into the hands of people that matter to me most? And that's really what the Bitcoin advisor has really tied up really well. So in the event I die, there's a protocol now I print out, I append to my will, I've got a copy with my lawyer. I've got a copy um, that my wife knows how to access. And in that are the instructions to be able to recover my funds. If she's not, or the next in line might be my mother-in-law or my father-in-law or my mother, father, sister, cousin, whoever that next in line is, they don't need to be a Bitcoiner. They don't need to be able to understand the technological aspect of it. They just need to know who to call and how to recover the funds. And then more importantly, what do I do with those funds? Now, where I think 
the Bitcoin advisor and Peter Dunworth's experience and expertise really comes into the fray right here is Peter Dunworth has been handling high net worth individuals money for decades. He's very, very experienced. And what's really important to, to, to understand is if you're in Bitcoin now, the chances are you're going to be a high net worth individual in only a short amount of time. And it could be quicker than we realize. Um, so what Peter's doing is bringing a lot of the learnings from how high net worth individuals think about asset protection and money and inheritances. And he's bringing that to Bitcoiners because we will be high net worth individuals. And it is absolutely time you need to start thinking about what's going to happen if something is including tax implications and all that. And while he can't give legal or financial advice or anything like that, we, we we focus on the advisory advisory around handling your Bitcoin, but we can also start to kick in some of those thoughts that the conversations that you can go away with and have with your lawyer and your accountant around setting up the structures to be able to maximize the distribution of those assets to your loved ones. So there's trust you can set up where you can make sure your kids get, you know, they don't get all the Bitcoin when they hit 25 because they're going to go, you know, be the, be the spoiled Paris Hilton's of the world and just party it away, but they might be able to get enough for the deposit for their house. And then at 30, they can get a little bit more. Mm. And then at 40, hopefully they've grown up a lot. And like Seb was alluding to earlier, maybe there's some things we layer in there that they have to go and do, read this book and do this course. There's all these sort of clever things that we can start to enact as technology evolves, you know, incorporating smart contracts with the disbursement of these funds to make sure they're hitting some milestones so they know what they own. And it's really, really exciting. It's really, really clever. And it's, and it's, I guess to wrap all that up, because I know I've been talking for a long time, is just encouraging Bitcoiners to start thinking like a high net worth individual because the time to do it is now, not in 10 years time when you're looking back and something tragic happens, you go, I wish I had done something about it then, you know. And um, I, I don't know, I, I you can tell I'm getting excited about it because I just see this as the next layer of even with Bitcoiners, but it's even providing those services to people who are sitting on the fence, like my friend at work, and I've had this discussion with him, and I'll be absolutely, we're actually teeing up a call next week to have a chat about this, providing the services where people don't have to hold their keys and if and they can be involved in holding the key because that's absolutely what we advocate for. But in case you stuff it up, we've got the backups there to make sure that you've got access to your Bitcoin. This episode of Bitcoin People proudly brought to you by BitRefill, your one-stop shop for living on Bitcoin and Lightning and building out the Bitcoin economy and the Bitcoin standard world we would all love to see come to fruition. They've got all the best gift cards like Amazon, Apple, Bunnings, Airbnb, Uber and much more. Coles and Woolies for your groceries, Bill Ferries to pay your bills, BP and Ampol for your petrol. You can do your hotel bookings or top up your phone credit or buy a gift or phone credit for a friend or loved one overseas. So check them out today, bitrefill.com. And remember to include Bitcoin people in the referral code for 10% Bitcoin back on your first purchase. That, uh, so many penny drops for me just in that, to be honest, about things that I haven't got set up well as yet and haven't really thought about and kind of have put off thinking about. And that's really helpful actually because the whole thing about estate planning to be honest i just have put to one side and 
but I but but also I'm only just starting to wrap my head around time locking and that mm. whole process of potentially unlocking a certain amount at a time. And if this thing is going to be, you know, the whole world GDP divided by 21 million, if this is going to go where we think it's going to go over the next 20, 30, 50 years and multi-generational after that, there's a big process of getting your head around that longer time frame, lowering your time preference to that degree and thinking generations ahead. But that's really what you're alluding to here. Seb, fill me in on your thoughts around all of this. Yeah, I was going to add in two, two points. And the first one is that I think what a lot of people don't necessarily recognize is that if you're in Bitcoin, you've been in Bitcoin a while, you're probably in a financially sound position. And if you're in a financially sound position and you have your own house, storing kind of a single seed phrase or multi-sig, whether it's at the bank or one at your house is, is not too bad. But when you are, when you're renting and you're living with housemates, when you're in a third world country and you're living in an apartment block, when you're having to store a seed phrase that potentially has all your wealth, that is, it's scary. It's super, super daunting. And that's where if anyone comes up to you and for whatever reason, the, they pressure you to kind of send transact or trans, um, transfer all your Bitcoin over. If you're on a single SIG setup or a multi-SIG setup and you control the majority of the keys, then you can go and do that immediately. No questions asked. And uh, I think that's the threat to losing your Bitcoin. Whereas I think what we recognize with the collaborative custody approach is that when you hold one key, it doesn't, if someone gets a hold of your key, they can't do anything with that key. It's not mm -hmm. a single SIG setup and it's not a multi-SIG setup where you hold the majority of your keys. And so all of a sudden it's, a, it's effectively useless to that individual. And then you can then go back to us or BTC advisor we can issue a new key or set up a whole new vault so that that key is now useless and now you've moved your Bitcoin into a new vault. And it's also the second point, which I'll add is Daz mentioned that the difference in collaborative custody versus a traditional multi-sig is that in a traditional multi-sig, you would hold the keys or say one other individual would hold one key and you would hold two keys. So you still have the majority of keys. In this collaborative custody approach, what ends up happening is the standard approach is that you hold one key we, as through the BTC advisor or in partnership with BTC advisor, would hold a second key and then say Unchained or CASA, the multi-sig wallet would hold a third key. And what that means is that no one party has control over your Bitcoin. So if BTC advisor, they can't initiate a transaction or send your Bitcoin because they only hold one key. And then Unchained in the wallet, uh, they also hold one key, but they can't initiate a transaction. They also don't hold two keys. So what ends up happening is ultimately you're the only one that can initiate a transaction and in partnership, whether it's with Unchained or whether it's with BTC Advisor, that's how you move your funds. And so I think it's really important just to note that because that also means that if you lose, as you mentioned, it's I know people that have lost their seed phrase or lost their private key. And if you lose your private key, you're screwed. Whereas the incredible benefit of this collaborative custody is no one per, no one party can move your funds. But at the same time, if you lose your key, it's phenomenal because you can then reach out to BTC Advisor. BTC mm. Advisor, if you give them authorization, they can then communicate with the vault and the vault, like Unchained, then able to collaborate to be able to issue you a new key and then you're on your way again. So now you've kind of mitigated that risk of losing a key. That And to me, that is phenomenal because I know for a long time, I've been storing my Bitcoin on a single SIG wallet. And it's petrifying knowing that like, man, if my house burns down 
am I going to lose it? Or uh, I don't know, if, did I write down my single signature uh, seed phrase correctly? And mm. I think that's one of the benefits of collaborative custody is it very much removes many of the traditional faults with single sig or even multi-sig when you're managing all the keys yourself. And it's really important to know that. I have to admit that I ended up advising my friend's mum to go to the Bitcoin advisor for exactly this reason. I don't think I understood all the ins and outs of it the way that you've now described it to me. Um, but the more that you talk, the more it makes sense. Is there anyone else? I mean, we're talking about the development of of these technologies and these solutions in the Bitcoin sphere. Uh, is there anyone else doing anything like this that you know of? Is this taking off as a more common solution? Is I'm just curious. Not, about not to this degree. Um, yeah. Not to this degree that I'm aware of. Um, and and um, I, I would just add to that that um, collaborative custody is not new, uh, and that's mm -hmm. why we're leveraging off uh, at the moment. You know that the unchains, the casses, um, nunchuck. I've got collaborative custody options as well. The tech, I think it's only a matter of time before more people opt in to these types of things. And and while you've got a, we always talk about creating trustless systems, um, mitigating against the trust of any parties. But what what this is doing, like Seb has said, is like it's it's dispersing that trust model amongst mm. many so that they can't collude. There are a lot of controls around the fact that you, you know you're not giving up trust. You're still in the driver's seat of that of that offering. I think this is the key to the mass adoption of the next 10 to 20% of people, which we've mentioned a few times um, already, is there's there's self-custody. The next wave that's coming is this ETF will be approved in the US. After that, the banks see this as a regulated asset. As soon as it shifts into that space, banks will absolutely want to hold, want to offer you Bitcoin they will want to hold your Bitcoin and they will want to rehypothecate your Bitcoin. So this trust system, it's coming anyway because that's what they're used to doing without realizing the attack vectors that exist in the traditional system. They're just going to co-opt and use Bitcoin in the same way that they do with currency. Now, the model that we're introducing here is this bridging where you've got to put a little bit of trust in, but we're mitigating against those trust and trying to adopt the practices of self-custody and the methodology around self-custody with still giving you absolute control. So there's absolutely zero risk of rehypothecating your assets. There's absolutely zero risk of collusion between two entities because you control it all. We lock it down with 2FA. There's video calling you can put in to put that extra layer of security in so that you are the only one who can um, initiate a transaction. And in the event that something happens to you, then we've got the legal framework behind normal estate planning protocols around upon presentation of your death certificate and notarized death certificate. And as executor of the, your will, you can approach us to then go to Unchained, um, as you approach us as BTC advisor to go to Unchained and say, look, this is the executor of this person's estate. Um, here's all of the instructions that they've signed up as as their um, uh, estate protocol, and this is what we're going to do. We remove the 2FA. We go with that person and say, okay, what do you want to do with these funds now? Do you want to set up the same structure, another you know, two or three multi-sig, 
or would you like that in single custody? Do you want us to move it? However, they want to do that in line with your instructions from the death, you know, from beyond the grave around how you want that handled. And I think that's really the value proposition here and what most people in the space to our knowledge haven't really grokked yet is how do you tie all that up with without giving up too much trust? And as, as I said, it's the bridge between, I think, what's coming. I think it's also one more thing quickly to note is when like through Looking Glass, we've had countless individuals approach us or we've approached countless individuals and ultimately, uh, or corporations and whatnot. And ultimately, we've never really found a corporation that aligns with our values of supporting the pleb, supporting the average individual, supporting the passionate Bitcoiner and staying true to our values. And when we found BTC Advisor, it very much aligned with our approach to education, our approach to the self-custody ethos and staying in control of your keys and whatnot. And uh, so when we met them, we kind of jumped on board because we're honestly, we've, we've been blown away. And this this process has really in, uh, opened our eyes to the potential for onboarding, as Daz said, onboarding that next 20 to 30% of Bitcoiners. Um, there's another point that I was going to make, which is... Uh, gone from my head i'll just i'll just add there seb that um and i'll hand on hard admit so this was the service i was looking for i think i mentioned earlier and i'm absolutely using this for my own so i would i'm singing from the same hymn sheet i wouldn't um i wouldn't advocate for something i'm not absolutely prepared to use last couple of months really digging into this this protocol and making sure that it's tied up as as absolutely as tight as it can be to mitigate against that risk because what what these boys you know the BTC advisor absolutely are proud of is the fact that um this protocol Peter Pete Dunworth's been using this without sort of you know giving too much away of his of his other business but he's been using this protocol to protect wealth in bitcoin for a number of years and they've personally gone through three probates and haven't lost a single set they've gone through the process I would argue they're probably the first in the world to be able to, to recover people's Bitcoin. And once I sort of discovered it, it's like, this is absolutely what I want to manage my inheritance wealth and my self-managed super fund. And it's very, very evident to us now only being involved for a short few months, the amount of inquiries we are getting from people who need help is overwhelming and that's really the litmus test for understanding whether we've got this right is because we're inundated with these inquiries about with from plebs um particularly from the self managed super fund perspective we know we don't we can't touch it for 30 years anyway so mm-hmm. i i need, you know i don't want to manage these keys for 30 years so let me just manage one key and then let me know that in case something happens that that wealth is not going anywhere um because it is a risk of, of of holding one key for 30 years against the self-managed super fund. Um, that, that is obviously an overarching risk about a long, long-term management of that key. Um, and and just, just to reiterate the point, um, we, we've been inundated with inquiries from people who are looking to have the discussion around trust structures, um, where they need to start that conversation with their lawyers and, and professionals in that space. So this is very much part of the the role we're we're playing is is helping you manage your Bitcoin into the future, and then pointing to you towards a lot of those professionals within the space who are who are authorized to have those conversations around some of the themes and some of the conversations you may like to start thinking about because that 
as a pleb, like I didn't know about trust structures, testamentary trusts, discretionary trusts as a wage earner, but it's becoming really, really apparent that I should have probably had this structure set up a few years ago to be able to properly deal with the way you want to um, distribute wealth as far as you know your, your your investments are concerned and this is absolutely what wealthy people do they have these conversations with those people it's not super expensive it's actually more approachable than most people think um and all you have to do is start the conversation with those professionals in the space but you you don't know what you don't know so you you know reach out to us have a conversation um, more than happy to help you. If it doesn't result in you using that service, we all we want, all we care about is getting Bitcoin off exchanges and making sure that nobody fucks it up. I was going to add one last point, and this point, to be honest, this kind of sold me because I'd never really thought about it. But most people are familiar with the fact that Ledger has come out a few months ago and said that now they have access to your private key on your Ledger device if you give them control, which is kind of like, well, if you give them the control, doesn't that mean that if the government really pressured them, couldn't they access your private key? So mm -hmm. all of these single signature setups that are now using Ledger are potentially compromised. And so what's what's to stop? Like, although obviously I have deep faith in MVK and cold card or Trezor and whatnot, what's to stop? I don't understand the tech behind these things. I don't understand the the software that's running on these things. And so I can't truly say for certain that my private key is not going to be compromised in the long run. And so because of that, when I started digging into the collaborative custody or the multi-sig approach, what I started to realize is that when you have a collaborative custody approach, that means that you don't, it doesn't actually matter what uh, hardware device you're using because your key is obviously separated between you've got BTC advisor holding a key, you're holding a key and say Unchained is holding a key. It doesn't matter if you're using a ledger. It doesn't matter if you're using a Trezor. It doesn't matter if you're using a cold card because even if they pull your private key, they can't do anything. They've got one of the three keys and they don't even know what key is involved in what vault. And so again, it's it's indifferent as to the hardware device you're using. So a question that's been playing on my mind for some time is does Bitcoin help? I'm thinking women. Well, I've got two groups of women in the back of my mind. Uh, there's a, a plague of homelessness amongst women over 55. And so clearly the savings technology is, uh, you know, has some value to the cohort who have missed years of work and who are behind on their super, et cetera, et cetera. But there's another cohort who particularly worry me which is those in in abusive relationships and i've often toyed with in the back of my mind how could they hide a device hide a seed phrase save some sets have something for themselves so that if they needed to get out of that relationship they could do so with a tiny bit of something to start a new life in a way that the their partner can't touch. Is this affordable to that cohort? I mean, I just find the whole idea of self-custody makes it almost out of reach because of the amount of study and process that needs to go into that. Have you got any thoughts about that whatsoever? It's, it's one of those things as well. It doesn't even just extend to 
the the single mum who needs to hide capital from the abusive partner. It extends to every single person in, say, even a developing country. I think Bitcoin, for the first time ever in history, dematerializes borders. Previously to Bitcoin, every single asset is basically jurisdictionally uh, like jurisdictionally located. You have a house that's got a physical location. You have dollars in your bank account. The bank account is governed by the government who can freeze your funds. You've got equities. Well, guess what? They're in a third party uh, exchange. That exchange, again, is governed by a government that can freeze your funds. And so in order to store assets, they're always held by a third party. And so Bitcoin, because you're able to self-custody your assets, I would say that's something that even single signature, as long as you can have uh, a safe place to store your single signature or collaborative custody, and that way, even if your partner comes across the single signature vault, they can't do anything with it. I think Bitcoin is an incredible opportunity for these individuals. Those individuals are scared about what does their future look like? Are they able to store wealth? And do they have the potential to build and accumulate wealth? And I know even for, say, my mum, I know that she lives in the UK. And I know she's a little bit worried about what her future looks like with the uh, with the kind of the breakdown in the UK, especially with kind of inflation and the position she's in financially. And even I just kind of mentioned to her, and this obviously isn't financial advice, but when you're looking at something like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, like gold, is valued between 12 to $20 trillion. And for easy math, let's just say it's $20 trillion. $20 trillion with Bitcoin currently sitting at $500 billion means that Bitcoin is 40 times, or, or gold is 40 times bigger than Bitcoin. And I, and I'm sure everyone on this call agrees that Bitcoin's utility is far greater than gold. And so what you start to realize is that when you've got a pension and you could invest 2% of your pension in something like Bitcoin, and if Bitcoin, let's just say we went into a catastrophic financial meltdown and people realized that the government was going to print and print and print, and they fled to something that has scarcity like Bitcoin, and it was to go up 40x, from that 2% holding, you've floated your whole pension portfolio. And so I think that... Bitcoin, we genuinely believe, is an inflation hedge. It is a hedge against a catastrophic meltdown of the fiat system. And so it assists those who are on the breadline. It assists those in developing countries. It assists pensioners who are nervous about its volatility, but want to have some upside potential. We, we think that it assists almost everyone, I would say. Uh, and so we very much stand behind it. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to that, um, aligning to the, to the initial question, Carrie, is that the sort of collaborative custody models allow you to take a little bit more risk in your key as well. And, and while I wouldn't advocate for that um, necessarily in, in a normal sense, I would always advocate for a, a, a hot wallet, uh, sorry, a cold wallet, um, you know, a hardware wallet is it does allow you then to have some optionality. If you needed that emergency stack to the side, you can then, you know, and you, and you didn't know what you would do with this particular hardware wallet. You can use things that are getting developed now like tap signers which is basically a, a key in a card you can keep that in your wallet and that can form part of the quorum that can be your one key of this other stack that you've got aside in collaborative custody where you've got those keys distributed you can use a hot wallet like you can use nunchuck nunchuck's another collaborative custody wallet which is a hot wallet but again you're distributing that inherent risk of having a hot key one key is useless. You need two of the three. So you can start to distribute this. You can keep one of these credit cards with your mother, you know, or your trusted best friend. You can have your hot wallet and you can start to store some of these funds away for the rainy day. 
and if it's comp if one of those keys is compromised or found, okay, no worries. Now I just know I need to act sooner, right? So it in a sense, it's a warning flag for these these women. It's an empowering thing to know, shit, my key's compromised or my wallet's been opened or you know, whatever. Um, uh, whatever way you suspect that that might be at risk, that might be the early warning flag for you to say, well, perhaps this is time to take action now for whatever is is threatening me. Yeah, I'd love to get that education out there to those, you know, to those groups. So slowly but surely, I don't know how we can target. Well, we'll be we'll be um, releasing a course. We're going to start working on a custody course. That uh, and that's uh, that's a great point, Carrie. We'll um we'll talk to you offline about exactly your your thoughts because we can absolutely keep that. Um, that's a really great point that we probably as 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 men aren't as close to. Um, that we can absolutely make sure as part of that that education piece. I think it's a really powerful message. Yeah, I, I mean, this is one of the difficulties with Bitcoin, as you said earlier, Seb. You know, ultimately we are the marketing and sales arm of Bitcoin, us enthusiasts, but it does mean you can't do so much of a targeted marketing campaign aimed towards specific people because the budget isn't there. There is no business, there is no corporation who, you know, with the budget to direct accordingly. But gee, it would be great if you could get into domestic violence services, that kind of space to help people out and give people those ideas and that education. Different yeah. kind of conversation. And it's, um, but... There's a sort of side thought that comes to mind too, Carrie. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day around what can I do for Bitcoin, right? And and this notion around are we, are we absolutely saturated with Bitcoin content now? There's a lot yeah. of talk about, you know, podcast fatigue and all of these sort of things. And what I would say to that is that, Anybody who's been in this uh, Bitcoin space for quite a while really does start to realize how Bitcoin weaves into every fabric and every avenue of society in so many different ways around what they can be doing. Starting a new Bitcoin podcast might not be the thing, but what are you good at? Most Bitcoiners who are here are probably been obsessive about something at some point in their life. So they're probably really leaning into mountain biking or they lean into guitars or they lean into. So what is it that you're passionate about and how does Bitcoin interact with that passion and start your podcast around that? So to your point earlier about how do we get that message to those women is start the podcasts that speak to those women. And then at every opportunity, weave into where Bitcoin fits into that thing. So there's podcasting. Podcasting is a great way for people to build a bit of a following, build and speak to their passions. Like, and it's such a low cost to production. It's very accessible for most people. Like, look at us. We've got a couple of laptops. Some of us have got some pod mics, very cheap, very accessible. You don't even need that. Start the conversation around what you're passionate about and then. And then identify how Bitcoin weaves into that conversation. And then all of a sudden, we're starting to bridge out that conversation to all of those other audiences because they're listening to you about your passion. They're not listening to you about Bitcoin. But that might be, like we said earlier, the second or the third touch point that you needed for the mass adoption around, hmm, now, now I'm hearing Bitcoin as it relates to mountain biking or I'm hearing Bitcoin how it relates to this guy who's 
jamming on the weekends, streaming sats, or it now speaks to that that poor lady who's seeking help in the domestic violence situation. She's leaning into this podcast of, of experiences of women who've been through this before. And now all of a sudden Bitcoin's playing part of that conversation. There's your third touch. Now I need to go and explore it. Interesting ideas. And I've just uh, met with uh, DJ Valerie B. Love. And of course her podcast is originally around music and she ties Bitcoin into her Great passion name. for music. Uh, we know Amy Taylor is out there doing Be You Get Paid. And so that's a coaching audience rather than a Bitcoin audience. But she weaves in Bitcoin and she speaks to a lot of Bitcoiners. So it's a really valid point that you make. Any other ideas on that, Sid? I would say, and this is where I think everyone has their own unique perspective, which is, like for the last 10 years, I've been studying psychology and I'm training to become a somatic therapist. And what I started to recognize is that money ultimately is influencing even say the family unit. And so as money is losing value over time, parents have to work more. And as parents have to work more, that means they're spending less time with their children. And since the departure of the gold standard, we've seen rising rates of ADHD. We've seen rising rates of obesity, anxiety, depression. These are all coping strategies because people are not having their emotional needs met. And so what you start to realize is that money weaves its influence into every single thing we do. And Bitcoin can play a role in the long term at giving parents back their time, giving their parents back time so they can spend time with their children. And ultimately, this uh, for the last year, and obviously you've read the, one of the first manuscripts of this, I've been working on a book that discusses these principles uh, called The Hidden Cost of Money. And I don't need to plug that here because obviously we've been talking about beers for Bitcoin. But what I'm just trying to highlight is that we all have that unique perspective and really like money weaves its social influence, weaves its influence into everything from its social, uh, like the social sphere, the economic sphere, the political sphere, the environmental sphere, like money is such a foundational layer and Bitcoin can really play a role in that. And so if you're passionate about something and you start to see how Bitcoin plays a role in your field, share that information because you'll speak to a unique audience that again, you don't know who you're going to touch. You could touch the next Michael Saylor who is putting an immense amount of effort into education. Amazing. Uh, just by the by, Zuby has just interviewed a somatic therapist. Uh, it, it's just uploaded, I think, in the last 24 hours. So you must have a listen. Uh, we, it feels like we're coming to a close. It's feeling like we've talked about a lot of the issues that are going on in the Bitcoin world at the moment, that's going on with technology, that's going on with collaborative uh, custodianship. What are we missing? What are some final words? What are some final thoughts? Is there anything we've missed that you were really hoping we would touch on? Or simply any final thoughts you would like to throw out there into the universe that's in your heart and mind right now? I would say, I honestly, would, I, well, you go, Daz. I'm going to go first, Seb. I'm going to butt in right here because you're too humble to plug that book. That book is phenomenal. I've been lucky yeah. enough to be doing a final edit of the final manuscript and it's going to be a game changer, absolutely game changer. I think it will, uh, again, like what the, the theme we've been speaking about, it will speak to a lot of different people. Um, there's been a lot of books and a lot of movement around money. Lynn Alden's just released a phenomenal book. I've started reading broken money. Um, I think Jimmy song released another one about fiat, why fiat money is broken and, and all of the societal impacts and everything that's downstream of that, which very much speaks to what, 
what Seb is speaking about. And even I'm deep in the weeds and I was very humble enough or lucky enough rather to read his first pass of this manuscript and he's even evolved it even more. And I was sitting there reading it down the beach one day and my mind was blown and I've been in this space a long time. Some of the threads that he has pulled together with the plethora of, of, of themes that he's read from psychology through to governments, through to businesses, through to, it is just a mind blowing exploration of how money interweaves and corrupts the way that we as humans navigate society navigate the world and those relationships with our beautiful little children that it, it is going to be an absolute game i can't wait i'll get goosebumps talking about it it's going to be hopefully released in the next few months and he's way too humble to talk about it but absolutely he should plug it and sing to the rooftops and um I, that that's all i wanted to think about and I, I just wanted to thank you carrie i think it's been a phenomenal conversation appreciate all of the hard work that you do in the back end. And I think you're an unsung hero in this space. We get to see firsthand just how hard this lady works. And I'm telling you, there's probably not too many people who are nose to the grind working as hard as you are in the back end. And, and not everyone gets to see it, but we, for one, get to see it and we appreciate you immensely. Thank you so much. Seb, you're, uh, first of all, I'm going to back up exactly what Daz has just said, and I haven't made my way through the whole book yet, and I haven't seen the edited version, the more, the more recent edits, but I've got to tell you, it's had a real impact on my thinking. The number of times I think about incentive structures and how, and the, the corruption of incentive structures as a result of even the first half perhaps of the book that I have read is really phenomenal and I'm with Daz I suspect it will be a game changer it really is there's a lot of uh, stuff that's repeated in this world because again we're not a streamlined business or organization so you can have Jimmy Song and Lynn Alden both writing books about broken money at the same time albeit coming from different angles there is something really unique about what you've written Seb it's really different from anything else I've seen out there Ah, honestly, I, thanks a lot, guys. It, it truly means the world because I think sometimes you put energy into something and you're always curious. You're just like, am I just nuts? And I think it, being down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, <laughs> there's a fine line between being nuts and uh, yeah, having something to say. And so I, I, I truly, truly appreciate it. And again, to echo what Daz said, what you're doing, Carrie, is absolutely phenomenal. And I think that you're speaking to such a unique audience. And I think there needs to be more women in the space because I, I think that the, the woman population have such an incredible voice and a unique perspective again. And I want to hear more women out there. So if you're listening to this and you're a female and you're nervous about sharing, I, I command you to go out there and put yourself out there. It, honestly, we, uh, we, we need it. And but I, I just, I just want to add one, one thought to that, Seb, sorry to cut you off. Um, it was phenomenal to see the women, uh, the presence in the bush bash in Cairns that we we recently held, thirty five percent in the in the crowd were women, which is I think believe the highest ratio we've we've achieved. So it's really really encouraging to see that um, it's not just you know the men starting to to peel back the layers. And and what's what's interesting to to see as well. And sorry to harp on and plug this book again, but some of the phenomenal feedback we've received from some. Um, women in the community is that women are really actually resonating with that book as the Fear first the touch point 
beers for Bitcoin, sorry. Yes, not 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 Seb's book, beers for Bitcoin, the one that's um, released. Mm. Um, uh, uh, the feedback we've received is that women are actually really resonating with it as their first thing that they read in Bitcoin. We always thought it'd be the second, third, maybe fourth thing you'd read in Bitcoin. It, you'd, you'd come to it from the why and then you'd want to understand the how and what around Bitcoin. Whereas um, the feedback we received was that women are really from understanding, oh, wow, this is what this thing is. And then they're going and discovering their why. And I think that was just really, really phenomenal and humbling feedback that we received recently from Farmer Jen actually was the, the one who um, first said that to us. But she's not the only one who's who said that. Also, Pringle Stacks, hello, Sil, love you. Um, she's given us that feedback and, we're, and we've received it quite a few times now, which is absolutely mind-blowing to us because, you know, we're obviously what you two guys who have no idea. Amazing. And yeah, I, I was blown away by the female presence and thrilled because I'm going to Bitcoin and Brews here in Melbourne tonight, which is once a month. And I am often the only woman there. And to come to Palm Cove and have that many women there is just heart opening for me. Um, it was really a beautiful experience. Uh, I do think that there's a book brewing for you, uh, Daz. Uh, I'm very conscious that the way that Dennis Porter goes about orange pilling the US government is through stranded energy. And mm -hmm. I've never seen a user friendly book on mining and energy. So I, I'm just, you know, it's not that I want to add to your plate. <laughs> and the multiple the multiple projects you have going on but you know just to add to your list <laughs> well it's 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 very funny you should mention this carrie because there may or may not be already early discussions with uh, another certain gentleman named um mine racks pierce sorry to dox you pierce uh and that book will be called emma's for mining so there very well may be some themes coming um can't promise you dates or uh, with everything else going on at the moment, but that's those discussions have been had and there has been pen put to paper already on that general theme. Um, so it's very, very good feedback to encouraging feedback to receive. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I have loved having the two of you here. I have loved just frankly reconnecting with the two of you. It's gorgeous get together of like-minded folk. I think I might have to do this two-person or maybe three-person I might try in the future. Who knows? Uh, but this has been absolutely delightful. Thank you both so much for your time and everything that you are doing and all the education you bring to the world and the energy you bring to this world individually because you're both beautiful souls and uh, and you're good people doing good things in the world. We need pe more people like you. Thanks a lot, Carrie. Honestly, and Thank yeah, you again, so much, Carrie. just to summarize, like if any of you guys are out there and you're nervous about custody, uh, feel free to reach out. And Daz and I are more than happy to, whether it's through just a single SIG or a multi-SIG setup that you want to set up yourself, we can happily guide you through it. Or if you want to talk kind of estate planning, we're also happy to do that as well. Um, yeah, we're always here. Thanks again, Carrie. All Thank the best. You, One of the best parts about living on the boat was all these college students would come live aboard with us and they would live for either a weekend or a week. And my favorite conversations were the ones where, you know, I would ask the kids, I would say, okay, what's your big dream? What are you gonna do? You know, what's your dream? And they would be like, well, my dad was a doctor and my uncle was a doctor and my grandpa was a doctor, so I'm gonna be a doctor. And I was like, I didn't ask you what your parents and family did. I asked you what your dream is. 
And they were just like, I don't know. And I'm like, right? You can actually ask yourself these questions and you can start considering your pathway in life to see, are you on your path or are you on someone else's path?